I love my church. I love my church. Can you say it with me? I love my church. There is a lot to love about this church. In fact, you are here today to listen about the ministry and about the finances of this church, about the future of this church, because you love your church. But I just want to take, I just want to start by remembering what make what it is that makes this church so lovable or lovely. And that is not the wonderful people. It is not the beautiful grounds. And it is not the rich history. And believe it or not, it is not the rector. The thing that the thing that makes this church so lovely and lovable is that the living God has placed His Spirit in this place that we might know Him. There are wonderful people in a lot of places, including this one. And there are a lot of places that have beautiful grounds and rich history, but what makes those things come alive here at Church of Our Savior, what makes those things so beautiful and lovely to us is the gracious presence of God's Holy Spirit working through God's Word and the proclamation of the Gospel and empowering God's people. So, by God's grace, 2022 was a good year for Church of Our Savior. We've got a number of new faces. After over nine years of leading our children's ministry, Beth Renal was ordained deacon. That was a wonderful occasion. She's doing a great job. And then, because we had a vacancy, we hired Emily Sunomori to lead the children's ministry. She's killing it. We had full camps in the summer. Kids' word is overflowing. Both the children's ministry and the youth ministry, led by Hannah Barton, are gaining noticeable traction. We went back down from four to three services, and all three services seemed to be growing. We launched our beloved Father Trent out into the wilds of Northern Virginia (laughs) to become a rector for the first time. And I just talked to him this week. He's doing great. Doing great. Just had his first annual meeting as a rector, and he survived it. (laughs) He will, in fact, be instituted as the rector officially on April 21st, and he's invited me to preach. Those of you who aren't there will be here at food trucks that night. We brought on Father George, and it feels like he and Mary Ellen, it feels like he and Mary Ellen are just part of the family. They've been here forever. Last year, at the annual meeting, we articulated a goal that 60% of our people would be involved in an ongoing ministry, either inside or outside of the church. And then, you told us in the Holy Cow survey that you wanted to be involved in more ministries. But you needed some direction. And then Carrie Baldwin, who just... Carrie Baldwin... (laughs) came to me and said, you know, I've got some ideas about that. And then a few weeks later, she came back and said, you know, I still have some ideas. In fact, I've got some more ideas about that. And then she came back and said, and I said, hold on, I've got an idea now. Why don't you be on staff? <laughs> and she is on staff. And now we got to raise the goal because we got more than that. No, come on in, come on in. Bob Moore premiered the first of three musical installments in honor of Harriet Beecher Stowe, and it was mind-blowing stunning. If you couldn't be here for that, I I encourage you to watch it on YouTube, but I encourage you before you do that to call the office and get a bulletin to have in your hand. We'll maybe email it or something like that, but it is is very helpful to walk, I mean, to to watch it uh, walking through that, but it is Stunning, and I've said it many times, for a church our size to have a talent like Bob Moore is an unusual blessing. I thought our Christmas services were as wonderful and as smooth and as full as they have been in the seven years that I've been here. 
And as you're going to hear in a minute, under the watchful eyes of our wonderful financial manager, Cheryl Fields, and our top shelf treasurer, Bob White, we hit our financial numbers. Like bottom of the ninth, don't know what's going to happen, two strikes, you killed it. It was a good year for Church of Our Savior. To God be the glory. I just wish I'd been here to see it. <laughs> Most of you know that I've been the president of the Diocesan Standing Committee uh, through two bishop elections now, both of which were formally objected. And we're going to get the report back on the second objection this week, and the process will continue to unfold. I'm not here to talk about that process today. I don't want to use this time for that. I will be happy to answer any questions you have about it. But I just want to say that, that I feel like, because of what I have come to call my volunteer job, <laughs> that I have not been able to be present for you. Not like I'd like to, anyway. I'm so grateful so very grateful for Father George and Deacon Beth and Father Trent and for our wardens, Frank Lusbrock and Mary Jo and the whole vestry and perhaps above all for Elaine Allen. All stepping in and picking up the slack. But I want to say to you that I'm sorry. There have been a few pastoral balls that have gotten dropped. There have been a few classes that I showed up for not quite as prepared for as I would like. Gosh, what do you guys think about this passage? What do you tell me what you think? And I have definitely been much more status quo than in my leadership than pushing the parish forward. And I just want to thank you for how you have prayed for me. I've said many times before, I've, I've, I'm quite certain I've never been so prayed for in all my life. And I've never felt the sustenance of God's Spirit like I have in this last year. You've carried me through and you've carried each other through. I'm going to be honest. I'm tired. And I've got a sabbatical that's coming up going to start in May, and I need it. And in fact, you need for me to take it. <laughs> I mean, contractually, it, it was due at, after six years. I couldn't do it because of this stuff, but, but I, it's not because I didn't do it, it's because I need it. So y'all are going to throw me a big party, a big send-off party on Pentecost, May 28th. And I will be back on my 49th birthday, Sunday, September 10th. I was awarded a big grant that will cover a lot of the expenses. So my family and I take the summer to visit England and then Wyoming and Montana. I will also be taking some uh, quiet time away by myself. The main goal of touring England will be to be inspired by some of the founding luminaries of our Episcopal faith and to catch a fresh and renewed vision for why I do what I do. The main goal in Wyoming is to just have a ton of fun and outdoor adventure as a family before Caroline goes off to college. And I might post some pictures on the church Facebook page, and I will pray for you. But... Those who have done this before have made it clear to me that I am not to be available. And so I want to take a minute and to talk with you about that time. First, I'm working on clergy coverage, but I hadn't figured it out yet. Father George isn't going to be around very much. And, I mean, because he's retired. So... <laughs> I told John Pallarine on, on, uh, on Friday, I said, you know, some clergy, uh, when they're retired, they like to go to their mountain house. <laughs> and Joanne just shook her head. <laughs> so I'm working on finding either a priest with a few years of experience who will become my next assistant or a graduating seminarian who will fill in that role, plus a retired priest uh, who can fill in and help while I'm gone. And I've got some leads in both directions, but nothing's solidified yet. So, please pray about that with me and for me, and I will keep you posted. Second, before I came, 
you all had an interim period. Some of you have consciously forgotten about that. <laughs> In some ways, it was a dark time. But one of the positive things that I have heard repeatedly about that time is that you, the laity, learned the healthy lesson that your life as a parish was not entirely dependent upon the clergy. Where perhaps you had historically relied on the energy of the rector, the laity learned that you could take initiative and you could make ministry happen. And I may be wrong about this. Please don't take this the wrong way, but sometimes I feel like I have taken some of that initiative back from you. In fact, the Holy Cow survey that we took last year, your answers indicated that the congregation is most satisfied when you know that the leaders are, are working and doing the work. I need this sabbatical time to rest and recover and renew, but I want to suggest to you that in fact the congregation could really benefit from a defined season without the rector at the helm. Because if I come back in September renewed and reinvigorated with a fresh vision for ministry here, and I find a parish waiting on me that remembers how to take brave initiative, there is no telling what the Lord will do through us in our community. You think we're thriving now? You better watch out, world. And so I am asking, and I'll say it again, but I'm asking you now, each and every one of you, to approach this summer, approach this time where I'm gone, as a time to lean in. Like, attendance often falls off, usually falls off in the summer. If you were in town, please don't let that happen. Please be present. Love one another. Take the initiative to build relationships stronger. Invite people to church. Be brave about doing what you think the Lord may be calling you to do, either joining a ministry or even starting one. Talk to Carrie. Carry the parish and get ready for what God is going to do through us in the months ahead. Third, part of leaning in is that everyone, men and women, taking responsibilities for the success of the programs. And in the summer, our biggest programs are around the children and the youth. And so I've asked Emily Sunamori and Hannah Barden to come and tell you about the opportunities that you have to impact the next generation. So I'm coming into the end of my first year in this role, and it's been nothing but a privilege. Um, um, coming into my second summer, I have, you know, last year I had just started this role. I had really no idea what I was coming into leading summer programs. Um, and now that I've gone through it and followed that up with almost a year of just kind of regular life outside of summer programs, um, it's given me new eyes for what I want summer programs to look like going forward. I mean, same camps, VBS, CFAP, BFAP, they're all wonderful, wonderful programs, and they are highly supported by our congregation. Um, they are also one of the biggest opportunities to connect with children and the youth who are the future of the church. Um, we have plenty of opportunities through Sunday School and Kids Word to volunteer and connect with those kids, but this is outside of just the kids regularly in our parish every Sunday. These are kids in the community who maybe don't go to church or um, who need it the most, really. Um, I would really encourage those of you who have thought about volunteering before or who used to and say, oh, I don't do that anymore, um, to consider why it would benefit you to do it and why it would benefit the kids for you to volunteer again. Um, you'll notice in the pamphlets on your table, we have breakdowns of numbers, of number of kids who came to each camp, and the number of youth volunteers, and the number of adult volunteers. And CFAP and BFAP specifically have just a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful support of adults. And the children at VBS, 
you'll notice, far outnumber the number of adult volunteers we have for VBS. And to be quite honest, that makes me kind of sad. <laughs> um, not only because we need support to make the programs happen, but because it's such an opportunity for all of our parish to connect with the kids in our community and to show them the love of God and to show them what it feels like to be loved on and supported and have fun and just build up their, their self-esteem, their faith. Um, so I would really, really love to have some new faces, specifically at Vacation Bible School this year. Um, I will have a sign-up sheet in the corner for all the camps, but what's that? So Vacation Bible School is the week of June 26th. Um, created for a purpose will be the first week of June. School lets out earlier this year than it has in the past. Um, and last year we had Vacation Bible School at the very end of July, which was fine, but there was a lot of burnout by the end of the summer. <laughs> you know, everybody's kind of tired. So we're trying to shift Vacation Bible School up a little bit. Um, and I mean, even the kids were tired by the end of July. <laughs> um, but one of the things that Hannah and I, for both of our ministries, have talked about a lot is just wanting to build up the sense of community. And that's what Hannah and I grew up with in this church. And that's why we are back here in the roles we're in, because a lot of you guys raised us up. Um, and we want to do that for the next generation. But you're all still here, and you know, we want the help to do that. Um, we have such amazing parents in the children and youth programs, and a lot of them still don't know each other that well yet because we're all coming out of like COVID times and you know, relearning how to have a community and create a community. Um, so that's a lot of our focus right now going into the summer and the next year. But um, one of the fastest ways to get to know people also is to volunteer together and share that bond. Um, so I just encourage you all to think about that. Do you have anything? Good morning. Um, I don't have a big summer program that I need a bunch of volunteers for. I run support for Emily during Created for a Purpose and Built for a Purpose and Vacation Bible School, and I get her Dr. Peppers, and I tell her it's going to be okay. What I, what I do have is some really incredible teenagers. Our youth at this church are so special, and they're probably so sick of me telling them that but they are some of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life. And they love each other so well. And part of that is because I learned how to love from y'all. I grew up in this church. I'm a child of Church of Our Savior. I have fond memories of playing on the playground, of uh, lock-ins in this room, and playing Frisbee with a flip-flop and putting a hole in the wall and moving a, a piece of furniture over to cover it up for like six months. I, <laughs> I remember being a part of the Acolyte program and feeling so special when I got to be a first crucifer and got to stand up there and be a part of setting the table for the Eucharist. I remember helping out in Kids Word when I was just a little too old to be there, but not quite old enough in my mind to be in big church. Um, and I remember coming back after college. I graduated college and I had a lot of shifts in my personal life. And I said, I need something that's constant and safe and good. And so I came back here and I started teaching Sunday school. And I taught third, fourth, and fifth grade Sunday school with Thomas Gibbs <laughs> and Cameron Ritchie and a handful of other kids. And we had a blast. And I knew that I couldn't be anywhere else. And I did leave for a little bit after that. And then I came right back because God was like, I need you at the riverbank. I look out at this group and I see my Sunday school teachers, I see my youth group volunteers and my acolyte coordinators and my friends' parents and my grandparents and people that have loved me when I may have been difficult to love. <laughs> and I'm so excited to offer you the chance to do that with another generation of teenagers. These kids are so cool and they're so smart and they have so much to offer our church and I'm so excited to share them with you. I don't want the youth to be this like, like 
cordoned off in the FLC and we're the youth over here and nobody's allowed. I want to share them with you. I want to share the FLC with you and I want to share our Wednesday night youth groups with y'all and our Sunday morning Bible studies with y'all. So if you are feeling a tug on your heart to come hang out with some teenagers, it's a very distinct tug um, and it is not one that everyone has and that's okay. But if you are feeling that call, if you are feeling that tug on your heart, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to get you connected with our kids. They are incredible. They are amazing, and I am so excited for what's coming next in our program. I mean, I just marvel at how God would raise up these two young women in this church that you would raise, that you would raise them and He would raise them through you. Who knows which of the kids now will be next? So thank you for what you've done, and thank you for what you're going to do. All right. I want to say three more things, and then we'll talk about finances. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Number one, at some point, all the bishop election stuff is going to get settled, and our current bishop will decide that it is time to have a diocesan convention, and soon after that convention, we will need to have another parish meeting in order to select vestry members, foundation board members, Diocesan Convention delegates. So, stay tuned for that. That's the first thing. Number two, what is the status of this building? I've said a number of times that I want to tear it down. And I want to raise the capital to upgrade these facilities. I still do. The Holy Cow survey said that many of you do too. Although, a new building is actually not a large priority for people who are my age and younger in the parish. Which is to say that the people who will presumably be using this building the longest are more interested in mission and community than in a shiny new building. And in fact, I think that's a good thing. I still think we need a major campus redo. I want to get the bishop stuff settled first. And really, I'd like the economy to be a little more stable before trying to raise a few million dollars. But the very biggest factor that it is that I'm told by parishioners who know these sorts of things, because I don't, that we really can't and shouldn't do anything in terms of major renovations or reconstructions until we have city water and sewer. Even though the Presbyterians have it. It's still really controversial. Because not only is it really expensive to get from there to here, but there would be some in the community, maybe some of you, who would be very concerned, and rightly so, about the impact of the construction of a new water and sewer line on the beautiful oak trees that lie on Mandarin Road. That's why it's not been done yet. Now, technology improves all the time. But those are the kind of questions that we're asking right now and we're praying about. But in the meantime, what we have really is wonderful. Our facilities manager, Mike Baldwin, is doing a great job keeping the place looking good. And let me tell you that if Mike Baldwin, if Mike Baldwin squeezed a nickel, he'd get seven pennies. Well, that's... Let's remember that we got a lot more facilities than the apostles had, right? And they were pretty effective in their mission. And we got the same spirit of God that they did. So we're going to trust his timing and use what he's given us to the max. Now, one renovation that will be happening very soon is a major upgrade on the software and electronic systems and mechanical systems of our organ. We've raised some money with the family and friends of our church building's late, great architect, Lamar Drake. And when those upgrades are completed, the organ will be rededicated to the glory of God and in honor and memory of Lamar Drake. And finally, I want to issue a challenge to you that I issued to the staff. 20 new families this year. Ooh. 
Why are you laughing? The gasp. 20. It could be a single person. It could be a family of 10. Do they count as 10? No, they count as one. Households. What if they're in multiple households? One household. Now, if it's a grandma that lives in Avondale and a, and a family that lives down here, we can count that as two. But the, uh, the, the, the ones who just went through the inquirers class, they don't count. They've been here. And we're so glad. 20 new households who need to love this church like you love this church. Who need this community. Who need the comfort. Who need the faith. Do you know that if every household who's already here just brought one other household to this church this year, we would double. That's pretty simple math. Right? I don't need for us to get big. I need for us to be excited about sharing what God is doing here. What I want for us to see, or I want for us to see how the world needs what we have got and for us to have enough love in our hearts to offer it to them. I want to see more people getting reacquainted with Jesus and connecting and growing and serving. So do you know a family or a friend who's struggling and needs community? Probably. Do you know a family or a friend whose kids need the direction that our youth and children's programs can offer? Or who maybe who has drifted away from their church during the pandemic and could use a fresh start? 20 new families who say that this is their church. And that's going to be a challenge, especially in a year where the rector is gone for three months. But they're not coming here to meet me. They're coming here to meet Jesus. And he's not going on sabbatical. They're coming here to be a part of you. To study the Bible with you. To help out with VBS. To go down to St. Mary's Food Pantry. To worship the living God alongside you. Can you do it? Can you lean in? Can you love each other? Can you pray daily that God would give you eyes to see what He is calling you to do and who He's calling you to invite? I love my church. I love my church. I am not exaggerating when I say that I really think this is the best church in the diocese. I could be biased. But I love this church. And more importantly, God loves this church. And He's here. And He's with you. And our future is in His hands. To Him be the glory. Let's get to work. Amen. So I'm going to ask... Um, I had asked Brian Chappell to come and talk about the foundation. He's our foundation president. He is sick, and so we wish him the very best. And we will send out a little uh, e-news blurb about how we're doing. Things are going good. It's been hard to get it going after the um, pandemic. Always, you can give uh, to the foundation, uh, and we're continuing to, to grow that. And uh, it's a great thing to leave in, uh, in your will uh, as part of your legacy. But the immediate both uh, very short-term uh, past in the 2022 and in the present 2023, uh, Bob White is going to come and tell us all about that. Morning. You know, Father Joe really knows how to build an agenda. He leaves the numbers right at the end. What a crescendo. I think we're only missing the uh, symbols. Symbols, get it. Uh, first, briefly on uh, 2022, and uh, Joe stole my thunder with his quick sports metaphor. I planned on, I plan on doing the thing, same thing, and I'm going to anyway. Uh, at the end of November, we were we were sucking a little wind. I think everybody was uh, a little tired. It's been a long year, and we were behind in our revenues by almost thirty-six thousand dollars. Our bottom line was a, a loss, I should say deficit. I always get in trouble I say losses and profits, but that's the businessman in me. I'm supposed to say deficits and surplus since we're nonprofit. 
but our loss was about $28,000 against a budgeted deficit of 6,500. And then uh, December happened. So I'm sure there's some sports fans in here. You know, December was, uh, you know, the three-pointer at the buzzer, the uh, grand slam at the bottom of the nine with two outs when you're three, three runs down. Uh, it was uh, the Hail Mary from the 50-yard line to win the game. Uh, in hockey, it was, uh, I don't think about hockey. <laughs> yeah, we, we won the fight. We won the fight. We won the fight. Uh, at the end of the year, after December, the $36,000 we were behind in revenue was 25000 ahead of plan. So you do the quick math, that's about $60,000 turnaround. Our bottom line uh, surplus ended up at $15,000 against a budgeted surplus of twelve eighty nine. So we also killed that. So I collect, and there, there's a chart, a little, not a chart, a little schedule on your table if you haven't jumbled it all up, which you probably have. Uh, so I'm referring to this as December was, was the savior for our savior. Uh, so it was a really, really good month. And at the last, uh, last inch of the finish line, a really good year. In your uh, brochure here, there's a chart that shows the uh, 2002-22 uh, actual in the budget. So the same numbers I kind of talked about, a little bit more detail, uh, but you can see it right there in print. Uh, as always, if anybody has any questions about anything to do with numbers, uh, call Cheryl. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Cheryl Fields, our finance manager. I'm always happy to talk. In fact, this week was a, uh, a milestone. So she called me and said, somebody, I'm pretty sure they're here, said they'd like to see a copy of the, uh, the budget and the 22 financials. She goes, what do I do? I said, give it to them. I mean, we're very transparent. This is your money. You pay for it. Uh, everything we do here, every, all the plans that everybody's talked about so far, we, we're paying for it. And so obviously, I think we're getting a good return on our investment because we're doing well. Uh, a couple other things I want to share. There's another chart at your table that you can pass around. We didn't make a bunch of copies. It looks like this. It's a bar chart. Everybody see that? So, you know, when I was a young businessman, they would look at me and if I produced a chart like this for the board, they would say, what's the point of this chart? It doesn't show anything. It's just a bunch of bars that are all about the same. But, oh, yes, it does say something. It says that this church financially is extremely uh, consistent. And if I were to fit a line in there that shows the growth, it would be up, not down. Wouldn't be up a lot would be up. And I think we all know if we uh, read or listen or, or hear Father Joe, you know, churches across the country in our own diocese are, are suffering. Uh, they're not growing, they're declining. And the fact that we're able to maintain is a testament to everything they've been talking about here, so I don't need to repeat it. Uh, but so regardless of what my mentors say, this is a very good chart. <laughs> There's yet another chart at your table. This would be a line graph, okay? We talk a lot about uh, liquidity, which is cash, uh, and net liquidity. And so what is net liquidity? Well, it's your cash, and then you subtract your restricted funds. And restricted funds are when people make a gift and they say, I don't want it used for anything but this. That's a restricted fund. And as a matter of fact, we couldn't use it for anything else because our church bylaws say if someone makes a restricted gift, it's restricted. End of story. But we also subtract out designated funds. That's when somebody, you know, sends an extra check for 200, 500, maybe more, hopefully, and says, I want this for the kids, or I want this for, you know, uh, the youth ministry or music. And so we account for that. It's not a separate account, but we keep track of it, and we do our darndest to make sure that when that money is spent, if there's a need, it goes into the designated purpose that that person uh, asked us to spend it on. However, the church bylaws would tell you that we could, if in emergency, use designated funds for the electric bill uh, to fix a major infrastructure problem or anything else if we were hurting for money. So we look at look at both. We typically look at just the, the most conservative view possible, which this graph shows, 
Our goal is to have three months of net liquidity at all times. That means if we didn't collect a nickel for three months, we could still pay all the bills. We could pay the lights, we could pay for services, we could pay salaries, we could pay anything that's in the budget. Uh, but that's really ultra-conservative, as I always tell the industry. So if you were to say, okay, throw designated funds into the available-to-spend category, then our reserves for the last four years would be six months, seven months, six months, and seven and a half months. So our liquidity is good. That's well, good. At the end of the year, we had $889,000 uh, in the bank. And before we go rush and spend that on programs, there's about 200-plus thousand of that that's automatically going to go away this year. And those are the prepaid pledges and the two trusts. So we take that money, and then we meter that money into income each month, you know, so our financials look fairly stated and reasonable. Uh, but we know that's coming out, but it's still excellent liquidity. And, and again, we took all that money out, and we're still maintaining, as you can see on these charts, a three-month uh, reserve on average. So that's really outstanding work by the uh, clergy, the leadership, and also the staff to uh, spend within the budgets that are, that are established. And uh, that's a little testament to their, to their work. Uh, I think, did you ever pass these on Elaine? No. Okay. Well, yeah. Elaine's got some budgets for 2023. And, you know, budgets at a church are really difficult because you're trying to first finish it pretty much by the end of the year. If you can, obviously, you've got to start managing the new year. Secondly, you know, if you looked at a pledge activity, it, it starts here when they ask for it, and it ends up here when it's almost too late. <laughs> so budgeting is a real slippery slope. Uh, so there's a lot of faith in our budgeting. And we sat in, uh, in Joe and uh, Amy's house in December for the uh, annual Christmas vestry meeting, and I was able to get them to approve a budget as long as it didn't get any worse than it was at that moment. <laughs> and it was a deficit budget at that moment. And that was like the middle of uh, December. Well, I'd like, again, we talked about how good December was. Well, everybody stepped up on their pledges. We got some nice gifts. We got, you know, he mentioned the uh, organ donations. I mean, a lot of good things happened not only in December for 2022, but also for the budget in 2023. So, you know, it always tightens up in the last, you know, anywhere between the last week of December and the middle of January. And so we now have a budget that's been approved. Uh, it was approved in December, and since it got better, nobody has to look at it again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's on the website, Lane said. Will be, not yet. And again, I'm always available. I can tell you more, th more about it than I wish I knew. Uh, our revenues are, are going up about 5%. Our expenses are going up about, oh, I think it was 4.8 maybe. I'm bragging about how much I know. Yeah, 4.8. Our budgeted surplus for 2023 is $3,100, okay? And so there's a lot in here. There's programs, there's people, uh, there's projects, and it's a, I'm, I'm confident it's a tight budget. And so I'm really, uh, really happy with how it went. I want to thank the vestry and the, and the clergy uh, for all the work they put in. Uh, it's always a process, but, you know, it's a process we know how to, we know how to handle, and so we handle it. Um, so not much else on that. It's a good budget. Uh, we just, you know, as, as I always tell the vestry from a financial standpoint, once you, uh, once you put a budget to bed, it's essentially useless. It's all about how you execute. And hopefully we execute better than the budget. Uh, whenever you execute worse than the budget, then you've got to kind of sit back and do we need to change anything? Do we need to spend less here, spend less there? Those are conversations we'd never prefer to have. And uh, don't expect to, quite frankly, based on the uh, history uh, and the generosity of this congregation. So the budget's done. Uh, any questions, happy to answer them. Uh, last couple of things I'd like to say. Uh, Cheryl Fields is our finance manager. Uh, if you haven't met Cheryl, next time you're here during the week, it would need to be a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Uh, introduce yourself. She's been here a couple years now, and she's just an outstanding asset. She and I work uh, very close together. In addition to the budget, you know, she's the one that, you know, cuts all the checks, pays all the bills, books all the entries, does all the financials every month. Uh, she's a finance manager, and she does a, a, just an outstanding job and a heck of a nice lady to boot. So uh, thank her if you ever get a chance. And you don't have to see her. You can send her a note. 
Uh, second, uh, Joe mentioned that uh, Frank uh, Lusbrock is not here today, senior warden. Uh, Frank sent me a note yesterday about his mother-in-law passing and so he wouldn't be here. So I just want to uh, say to Frank, Frank has a branding problem. Frank is a senior warden, but most people lately see him as a stewardship chairman. He was a, uh, a one-man gang this year. I imagine most, if not everybody in this room, received a call from Frank. Uh, and it wasn't, I need your money call. It was, uh, hey, I'm Frank, and I'm the senior warden at Our Savior, and I'd like to talk to you. And uh, he and I had a lot of conversations about those calls. He almost gave me a bunch of calls to make, but he didn't. Thank you, Frank. Uh, <laughs> so, hey, nobody listened to me, that's for sure. But he, he did an outstanding job, and uh, we, we pray for he and his family in this difficult time. And uh, great, great, great guy. So that's all I have to say, unless uh, anybody has any questions. And um, again, I'm always available. I'm around, not hard to find. Thank you. Yeah, so we do have the detailed budget right here available for any of you uh, nerd, I mean, um, uh, wonderful detail-oriented people that, um, that would like to take a look at it. Uh, it is always available uh, to you. Um, you know, all of us are dealing with inflation, right? I mean, you know, the, your groceries cost a lot more this year than they did last year. And it's the same for the church. Uh, so our revenue is going up a little bit. Our expenses are um, going up uh, a little bit. That doesn't include some important things. That doesn't include uh, raises for the staff. That include uh, increase in the outreach giving. Um, we this is the first year in a few years we've not given anything out of the um, out of the operating budget towards the foundation. We've been trying to wean ourselves off of the trusts, so that the people are are paying for the money that that the people are getting. Um, that's okay. All that stuff is okay. Uh, we we are uh, doing great as a church. We just want you to to know. Uh, sort of where, where we stand on that. Um, staff is happy. We're working together. We are excited, energetic about um, everything inside the walls of this place and serving outside the walls of this place. Uh, so this is uh, a, about, we've got about 10 minutes, five or 10 minutes for questions about anything that we talked about. Can you tell us more about this foundation? I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. Can I tell you more about the foundation? The Church of Our Savior Foundation was uh, established, I believe, when Robert Lee was the rector. Um, it has had different seasons of activity. It is a separate 501c3. The, uh, it is essentially uh, an endowment. The foundation actually houses a couple of different funds, but it's, it's, it, one of those funds is an, an endowment. The goal is to, uh, for it to raise, have capital that throws off interest that helps the budget. Robert's um, vision was that that would eventually uh, pay for uh, staff salaries so that all of that money could be given away. The problem is the foundation at present has about $200,000 in it. That doesn't throw off a lot of interest. Right now, we hadn't been taking it yet. We just put it back, put it back in there. But it's, it's something that has long been uh, established, and it just has had sort of fits and starts. So, uh, But I encourage you, as you are doing your uh, financial planning, estate planning, uh, to remember Church of Our Savior uh, in that way. Thank you. That's a great question. And if you have any further detailed questions, there's several people here who have have or are serving on the board of, of the foundation, Scott and uh, um, Bob and Selby has in the past, and so, several other folks. So, um, and I'm certainly happy to do that. Brian Chappell, who's not here, is, is the president. Uh, Cindy Covington has served as the president. Uh, Noni Gregory's on the, on the board right now. So, um, we'd love to answer any questions you have about that. Good. Next question. Yes. Not on financial, but I just wanted to say a big thank you for the online services on Saturday. I don't think you have a clue how many people are watching that and how important it is. It has made 
such a difference as we all go through medical things and back and can't get here. And especially it's fun to watch from North Carolina. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so keep, keep it going. We're going to keep that online service going. We had, we had we stopped it for a minute because we thought, you know, we need people who are watching at home to get back to church, you know. But but actually, but you're exactly right. People who are sick, people who can't make it here, it, I, I, when I went and visited around, they were like, we miss it so much. And so we put it back. And so thank you for that. And if you're looking, that's a great way to serve. It's not too hard to do. I mean, a little technical know-how, but not too much. You got it all written out. If you would like to be a part of the live stream team, we would love to talk to you about that because it really is such a good way to care for those folks at home. And if you are going to North Carolina or Wyoming or wherever you're going to go and you're going to watch, let me know and I'll give you a little shout out. Yes, Richard. What is the plan for the second house across the street? What is the plan for the second house across? You mean the White House there? So a few years ago, it um, the air conditioning went out all the way, and um, and the cost of replacing that uh, about seven or eight thousand dollars, and really exceeded the value of what that house um, had to offer us in terms of a meeting space or anything like that. So it's really just storage right now. Um, there's been talk about tearing it down, but then we'd have to replace the storage. So so right now it's just it's just that's where the lab nativity sits. So uh, during the year, and then probably a few other things. But there's, so once we kind of figure out about water and sewer and everything on this side, I mean, I, my whole goal would be to get the youth ministry on this side of the church on a permanent basis to create some more office space for a growing staff and that sort of thing. That would become mostly parking lot, maybe a retaining pond, uh, that sort of thing. But right now, um, it, it sits where it is. So it's just storage. Mm -hmm. Um, we can operate currently with our own water and sewer. Why do we need city water and sewer for the new building? Because it would be bigger. It would be to, to, to uh, as I understand it, because they didn't cover that too much in detail in seminary, uh, but I, um, as I understand what has been told to me, that we are basically at the max capacity for that and maybe just a little beyond. So if we were to expand our facilities in anticipation of growth, uh, that would be um, unwise. Bingo. Bingo. Oh, bingo. Yeah, good. Oh, you had Thomas had bingo already. Good job. Nobody called out. Anybody else? Bingo. All right. Yeah, bingo. Good. I love that you're playing. That's so good. That's a new, that's a new wrinkle. Thank you, uh, Hannah. So you did that. You raised her. Good job. Good job. What else? Let me just say one quick word about diocese and stuff. Okay, so the, um, this is an opportunity for us, particularly as a parish, to show that our faith is in the Lord Jesus. We're not going to spend time getting mad at anybody or about anything. Uh, I, I'm, I've learned, I'm learning that. Well, it's a, that's a daily learning. But we are, we are um, get, we're in God's hands. And so the report comes out this week. What ha doesn't really actually matter what they say. I mean, we want them to give us a good report. But whatever they say, we're going to go through with asking the rest of the church for consent. What that means is, that in any bishop election, whether it's contested or not, uh, the standing committees, 50% of the standing committees from around the, the national church and 50% of the bishops with jurisdiction have to agree and consent to the election of the bishop. I have a lot more confidence in that process than I do in what the court will say. It's all really important, but we're going to go through with that consent process, and God willing, um, we will have our bishop co adjudicator but um, uh, in hopefully consecrated in June. But we'll just see. I've been wrong just about at every step. So, um, so we'll see. We'll see about that. Yes? Follow-up to that, how does that impact Bishop Howard? Like when he... How does that impact Bishop Howard? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so Bishop Howard turns 72 in September. Right. And so sometime within, I think it's 30 or 90 days of that, he's got to retire. And so that's how it impacts it. I mean, it's, it, his, that deadline is coming whether we have a bishop or not. Has there ever been a situation where there hasn't been? Plenty. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. So in that uh, case, the standing committee, which I will 
<laughs> not be a part of at that point. Um, uh, will, would take over as the ecclesiastical authority and eventually would appoint a provisional bishop. Uh, but um, that's it's not the plan we set out for. That's some people's hope, but that's not the plan that we set out for. And so, we, again, we're in God's hands with that. But that's, what, that's what happens if we get to a point where we don't have a bishop. Yes? How is um, Charlie Holt doing? Oh, how is Charlie Holt doing? You know what? He is. His faith is remarkable, and he... Um, I mean, I'm sure he's got his moments. I'm sure his wife has his moments, has her moments. But, um, but he, I mean, I, was, I had lunch with him this, this past week. We, he seems to be uh, at peace and just trusting the Lord. He seems to be in a good frame of mind, excited about the gospel, excited about the church. And he feels called. Like, doesn't matter. It does not matter what hoops he has to jump through, what flaming arrows are shot his way. He feels called to this. And so he's moving forward. <coughs> like it or not. Yeah. Ministry of Finance. Yes, Carol. When do you roll off standing committee after the diocesan Question is, when do I roll off the standing committee? Uh, and the answer is that I told the bishop I would stay on until A, there's another convention, or B, I go on sabbatical. I said, I'm not putting that off. And he said, I don't want you to. So, Teresa Siegel, whose parish knows and loves, she's the next in line to become the president. I thought you were going to say tomorrow. (laughs) Yesterday, right? Yeah, Yeah, my volunteer job. All right, anything else? Somewhere in here is the prayer there is. Ha! Perfect. Let us pray. Bingo. Gracious Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. Fill it with all truth, in all truth, with all peace. Where it is corrupt, purify it. Where it is in error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in want, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunite it. Inspire our witness to your Son, Jesus Christ, that all may know the power of His forgiveness and the hope of His resurrection, and especially the 20 or more families that you will bring to this place who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. (laughs) Twenty families. Go do it. I'm sorry, what? Oh, no,